Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and today for Mina Kim. California's Oral History Archives is a treasure trove of first-person accounts by people in and around state government, politicians, key staff members, activists, and others. Now, thanks to Secretary of State Shirley Weber's office, those archives are more accessible to the public than ever. We'll hear about plans for new oral histories focused on tribal and Latino leaders, black history, and the LGBT community. Then we get the details on a new state law requiring excess food and organic matter to be separated from other trash. That's right, mandatory composting. We'll discuss what it might mean for you and when. It's all next on Forum, after the news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, KQED's politics editor, and today for Mina Kim. Later in the hour, we'll be talking about California's new mandatory composting law, but we begin with California's oral history archives. For the past 35 years, researchers have been recording conversations with people in and around state government, people who were directly involved with developing key policies on issues ranging from abortion policy and the death penalty to election and campaign finance reform. It's a collection of more than 200 interviews, and now it's more accessible than ever to the public. Joining us to talk about the importance of oral histories in general and plans to diversify California's collection of them is Secretary of State Shirley Weber, who, in addition to overseeing elections, has responsibility for the state archives. Dr. Weber, good morning. Thank you for joining us. A uh, little trouble finding you, but I'm sure we'll get here. Uh, the other people with us for this segment, Todd Holmes. Uh, he's a historian with the Oral History Center at the Bancroft Library at the University of California, Berkeley. And also Tamara Martin. She is a state archivist or the state archivist for the state of California. Welcome to all of you. Thanks, Scott. It's a pleasure Ooh. to be here. And this good is a, to be here with you also. Uh, good. Thanks for, for joining us. This is a short segment, by the way, so I'm going to give out the number early. It's 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. If you could hear an oral history with someone alive or dead, who would it be? Or maybe you've done one with your family. Tell us about that as well. Dr. Weber, uh, as I said, uh, when you're not overseeing elections or planning for elections, this is one of the things your office does. And tell us your thoughts about what, what's the importance of these kinds of recordings. What do they tell us? 
You know, one of the things that I was pleased with when I became Secretary of State is I discovered that I was in charge of the archives and having been a scholar and a historian for over almost 50 years now, I was excited about the potential of what the archives could do. And it, it, it really uh, opens up an opportunity for the average Californian to really understand those who have been a part of California's history, who've made a difference in their lives and, and even to be inspired by it. I find history sometimes inspiring because of the fact that uh, you learn about folks who are similar to yourself, who've, who've risen above the, the, the fray in terms of becoming significant and important and really can make a difference. And so I'm just excited about the fact that we can now have everyone basically become somewhat of a historian to the extent that they can learn about California and not feel that they have to leave the comforts even of their own home to be able to do it. Well, and speaking of your own home, uh, you're the first black secretary of state. You were named by Governor Newsom to replace Alex Padilla when he went to the Senate. And I'm wondering, you, you have such a, f a fascinating family history yourself. And I'm wondering, to what extent does that make you think maybe differently about oral histories in general? Well, you know, um, I, I think a lot about it because there's not a lot written about uh, African-Americans in terms of just the everyday person. And so what I've done is I've begun to collect the history of my family. You know, I took advantage of, of COVID and began to, uh, there's seven of my brothers, and there's seven of us still alive, there were eight. And so we had a unique life in traveling from California, from Arkansas to California. And I was a baby at the time. And it's interesting that I've been recording my brothers and sisters uh, uh, on Zoom every Sunday at, at uh, four o'clock. We did it for several months. We still meet every Sunday. And then most recently we met because December 1, 1951, my family came to California. So this was the 70th anniversary this past December 1. And I, I recorded my brothers and sisters who took the train ride, yeah. who told me what it was like when they arrived in California, what the train ride was like and, and the you know all these kinds of things. And so it, it becomes inspiring to me to know that my family has undergone some enormous challenges and despite that still have a positive attitude a sense of family, you know, working together, uh, passing this tradition on to, our, to my nieces and nephews. So, you know, it, it's extremely important. It's all here history. And we would never sit down and just write it down because we're not authors and those kinds of things. But we love to talk and we love to share. And as a result, we've got some oral history going that's really been inspiring to my nieces and nephews. So it, it's extremely important. It's extremely important to me and my family and has been a foundation upon which I have built my strength and my perseverance. And, and Tamara Martin, uh, you have the big picture here. You're the state archivist. And of course, the oral histories are just part of it. But give, give us a sense of what's in the what's in those vaults. Of course. Uh, so the California State Archives were one of the, uh, we're the oldest entity in California. We were created by California's very first law. So we're about to turn 172 years old tomorrow. And we have one of the largest state archives collections in the United States with over 350 million records. And that includes a wide variety of things from all three branches of state government. We have um, such a diverse collection that includes things that uh, go all the way back to 1850 to the start of statehood. To more recent items, some of which were created just yesterday by the legislature, things that are filed with our office. Yeah, and in terms and of then, the oral histories, um, give us a give us a sense of you know the range of people who are represented. So we do have a broad range of individuals that capture policymaking as well as the history of the state. So that includes elected officials, members of the legislature. We also have some local leaders and state agency heads, as well as important individuals who have worked for the state for a long period of time. 
Um, and those are the interviews that we've conducted to date that are part of this 200, but we're really excited for the future of this program and having the opportunity to interview a more diverse group of individuals that's more representative of California's population. So capturing those lesser known oral histories and making sure that California voices are heard and that we're able to connect to the average Californian and help them to experience history. And, and like Secretary Weber said, really know that you know they're not alone and that people have experienced things like what they're going through. And it is an important part of California's story. Yeah, and I do want to get back to some of those plans uh, in the near future to diversify that collection. But Todd Holmes, uh, you and I worked together on one of these oral histories uh, with uh, former Governor Jerry Brown, who, of course, is uh, legendary in California politics and political history. Uh, we met with him uh over the course of some 40 hours, uh, six or seven, eight months uh, in 2019 after he left office. Um, tell us, like, wh- when you prepare for these oral histories, which you've done many, of which you've done many for the Oral History Center, wh- what do you think about? How do you prepare for them? What do you hope to get out of those conversations? Well, Scott, um, you know, oral histories are, if you go to any presidential library, not just in politics, but also even all the way down to your main street level, um, oral histories really help uh, provide a different point of view from just, you know, what would be reported in newspapers or even political documents. And so really a a lot of times in preparing for this is really a deep dive in both into their career, but also to get their perspective on other events that were happening at the time. Um, and so for Governor Brown, for instance, it wasn't just the, you know, the various kind of uh, key postmarks along his very long career, but it was also to get uh, his perspective on the events that were happening at that time. And I think that's really one of the things that oral histories are able to capture. Yeah. And I want to play a shortcut from Jerry Brown, <laughs> just a very short clip from the 40 plus hours we have of him. And this was really interesting to me because uh, Jerry Brown's father, Pat Brown, was defeated in his attempt to get a third term as governor by Ronald Reagan. And then uh, Jerry Brown followed Ronald Reagan when he became governor in 1975. And uh, we talked with him um, about about Ronald Reagan and his thoughts. Here's a short clip. Reagan said that he couldn't imagine running for president by anyone who had not first been an actor. And I think that speaks to the issue of being able to communicate to a broad audience. So politics is part performance? Part performance. Uh, So is journalism. So is being a professor. Performance is built into existence. (laughs) You get a little bit of Jerry Brown's not only thoughts about Ronald Reagan, but his pugnaciousness over the course of those 40-plus hours, Todd. Um, I'm wondering, with with regard to Jerry Brown, what what surprised you uh, in those conversations with him? I think Jerry Brown, uh, for one, I, I loved how he, I think it's also a great clip how he likes to take, you know, he liked to poke at both of us uh, throughout <laughs> the interview. Um, what surprised me really was his candidness um, about politics, about really what it took to be a politician and to to really operate, I think, successfully, uh, you know, in, in the corridors of uh, both at the state and national level. Um, I think he was very candid and, as he says, not just communicating, but of, in a sense, it's not just about policy, right? It's about how you deal with people and how you have to think about three steps ahead of those who you will eventually run against. Yeah. Um, 
I think I think I always tell people that sitting down with 40 hours of Jerry Brown was the best political education I, I've had. And I've studied politics for 25 years. So. Yeah, he's quite the <laughs> political historian himself. I want to play another short clip from him. And this is getting his thoughts about lobbyists. Many of them have emotions attached to them. When Jerry Brown returned to the governor's office in 2011, he once again had to deal with the yearly demands of legislators, lobbyists, and activists who wanted his help. They want a bill, and if you don't give them the bill, they get very excited. And Brown says that when those interested parties ask the governor for his signature, they don't ask nicely. They don't say, I think it would be desirable to do X. They say, it's unfair. I'm suffering. I need. Give me. It's emotional battering. Of whom? Of everybody. I mean, the legend of the governor, of the legislators, of the staff. People, they can't buy you, but they can batter you. That's just the way it is. And that, of course, was Jerry Brown from the political mind of Jerry Brown, which was a series of podcasts we developed. Shirley Weber, you know, looking over the list of whose oral histories are in the collection, you can't help but be struck by the lack of diversity. They are largely white. They are largely men. And, of course, that's who was in charge of California for much of, you know, the past several decades. That began to change, though, uh, actually around the time of Jerry Brown. And what, I mean, what are your thoughts about going forward and how to diversify that collection further? Well, I think those who, uh, uh, thank you very much for that. And I enjoyed listening to Jerry always, but um, (laughs) (laughs) there is a lot of listening with Jerry. (laughs) There's a lot of listening. There's a lot of listening. Um, But, you know, I think all of us, when when, we think about the need for diversity, it really uh, opens up the opportunity for uh, people to come forward and and to make recommendations as they do as to who they think should be in there. The committee to get a a diversified committee to start looking at all kinds of elected officials, but all kinds of people who made a difference in California, because it's just not the governor and the lieutenant governor and those individuals. There's some folks at school board levels, there are people at uh, city council levels, there are people who are just citizens who really worked very hard and have done some amazing things. I've even seen in San Diego who, who individuals who've really gotten involved in San Diego for 30, 40 years and really changed the nature yep. of California. And, and so I think that becomes important. It does. And I'm sorry to cut you off. We're going to have to go to a break and we're going to transition to a new topic. But Dr. Shirley Weber, Secretary of State, oversees those oral histories. Check it out at their website, by the way. So much uh, so much to learn and to hear and, uh, and find out about California history. Also, thanks to Todd Holmes and Tamara Martin as well. We'll be back in a moment. We're going to talk about composting. It's going to be mandatory soon. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.